Well, I wanted to begin by saying right off the bat that Brian and I, we didn't call each other to make sure we were twinsies today, but uh, he's got the long sleeve version, I got the short sleeve version. But uh, today is a day where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, and so with you adults here, we're going to try the same thing. I'm going to say, He is risen, and you're going to say, He is risen indeed. And so let's see if we can be louder than the children here, all right? Let's try this. He is risen all right, pretty good, pretty good. Yes, and today, if uh, again on the chat section of the YouTube channel there, if that bothers you, distracts you, just you can go and turn that off. You can go full screen on some devices and it'll shut that off for you as well. And so as we gather today on Easter Sunday, a, a day where we celebrate the resurrection of our Savior, we begin a new series called God of the Impossible. We just finished up our series of here and there, going through First Peter, and, and throughout that whole book of First Peter, it just talks about and challenges us to remember that this is not our home, that we have something better to look forward to, and we have a hope for the future, and that hope comes through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as we depend on a God of the impossible. And I hope and pray that you will join us for the next three weeks as we, we dive into this idea, as we go through this series, and continue to be a church that imagines more. I want us to really grab hold of the fact that we serve the God of the impossible. Growing up, I, I remember we got to watch a show as kids. Uh, it was a show called... The, it was called Mission Impossible, and I really liked how the intro music started. It started with a match, and it was like, and the match was burning, and then it would go across the screen and be like, dun, 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 and then it would be like, balloon, balloon, you know, it was just, it was a fun intro song, and, and, and the neat part about the show was it was all about this concept of a mission that was impossible, and yet as they went through it, the team worked together to see the mission come to completion. And I love the show because, you know, as, as you were watching it, it seemed completely impossible that what they were going to plan to do would actually take place. And yet as the, the, the show unfolded, by the end, the impossible became possible. And for many in the Midwest or in Wyoming or specifically here in Casper, uh, we a lot of times don't like it when somebody else tells us that it's impossible. We can do it. We can handle it. There, there's this can-do mentality that we have, and it doesn't seem to matter what it is. We feel that we can handle it. It's, it's kind of like the guy that, that needed to go to the doctor. In fact, he needed to get his appendix out. And you, you have this uh, Jim Bob who says, oh, no, no, we can, we can take care of that. Yeah, Ricky, Ricky, go ahead. Just bring the nail gun. Bring the nail gun. Well, no, and I'll, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. It's, it's an appendix. And I, yeah, yeah, we can, we can do it. You know, just bring some warm towels and some warm water. No, wait a second. No, it's not a baby. You know, it's, it's an appendix, all right? We can't just handle everything on our own. And yet, for many of us, you probably have experienced going through something in life where you've tried to handle it on your own. You've taken care of it all by yourself. And the reality is, is that maybe you should have let somebody else help you. But all too often, we say, nah, we can handle it. 
And maybe it's this, the harsh conditions that we live in and the cold weather or the we've faced worse than this mentality. If something breaks, we figure we can fix it. There is no can't. But I don't care how much determination and can-do attitude that you might have. Sometimes in life, we are going to run into things that are going to challenge that mentality. Where can-do just doesn't cut it. Maybe a loved one gets sick. And no amount of can-do fixes that. A marriage falls apart. Someone you love dies and can do just doesn't seem to work. Jesus' followers had it, had that very kind of situation that they dealt with here in, in John 20. They had just experienced the death and burial of Jesus. It was over. You remember they, they left everything to follow Jesus and then he was crucified. They watched him be crucified. It was no secret. It was very public. They watched him be buried, and they saw it, and it rocked their world. But something happened. Something had happened on the third day. Something impossible happened, and they were still processing it. They weren't sure what to make of all this, this the resurrection Now, remember that that morning some women had gone to the tomb to help prepare his body for burial, and and the tomb was empty. They told Peter and John, and Peter and John ran there, and they looked, and they saw that the tomb was empty. Mary Magdalene actually spoke to Jesus that day, and a couple of other disciples on the road to Emmaus ran into Jesus And there had been these sightings, but they still had no idea what to make of all of it. This kind of thing just does not happen. Someone coming back from the dead, well, that's impossible. And there's no category or place in our minds that we can hang these kind of ideas. It's In a lot of ways, it's just mind-blowing. How are they to handle all of this? How are we to handle all of this? And that's where the title of today's message comes in. It's entitled, Beyond the Tomb. What are we going to do with the message of the resurrection beyond the tomb? Will you pray with me? Father, this morning, speak to our hearts, open our minds, that we'd be ready and willing to hear the message that you have to share with us this morning. Father, if there's someone hearing this message for the very first time, may it prick their heart. May they be challenged, encouraged, and uplifted, and convicted. And it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. In John 20, verse 19, we begin to read. If you want to turn over there in your Bibles this morning, John 20, verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, the day that Jesus had been resurrected, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. What? Why? The doors were locked? Why Why is that necessary? Why Why were they afraid? Shouldn't this be an exciting, exhilarating time where they all get to go 
together and go out and, and they look for Jesus, the, the resurrected Messiah, the one who overcame sin and death. You know, why are they not out and about looking for Jesus? It says they were afraid. It says they were afraid of the Jews, the Jewish synagogue leaders who had instigated the crucifixion of Jesus. They were afraid that it was possible that maybe they were next in line to be crucified. Or maybe the fact that there was these rumors of the crucifixion and rumors of the fact that Jesus' body had been stolen. And, of course, who would they suspect that might have stolen his body? Well, his disciples. And so they were afraid. They were terrified. The doors are locked. They're in hiding. They're scared. And Jesus came and stood among them. What? What? Once again, this is impossible. If you don't already know, Jesus seems to be a pro at the impossible. The doors are locked, it says, and, and Jesus just appears in the room. In our lives, when things aren't going the way that we would like them to go, and when things are going wrong and we're scared and afraid of what the future might hold, when we're trying to shut the world out, Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up. Jesus appears, and what does he say? He says in verse 19, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Guess what? Jesus is saying the same exact thing to you today. He wants to bring peace to your life. We read on that Jesus shows them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now look at what Jesus says. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. How many of us today are hearing Jesus say, peace be with you, and it really isn't sinking in? We're having a hard time holding on to that. It's not really sticking this morning. Yes, God, I know that you are in control, but what about the fact that I've recently lost my job? And I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet. God, I know that you call me to peace. And yet, I've lost a loved one. And my whole world's been turned upside down. Yes, I know that you are in control, God. But what about the fact that our whole world is in just crazy disarray? And Jesus is saying to you again, peace be with you. Write that down. Peace be with you. The same unsettledness that you might be feeling today is the same unsettledness that Jesus' disciples were facing after his, after his crucifixion. They, they were unsure. They didn't know what the future was going to hold. And yet, Jesus shows up, and he shows them his scars, and he says, I'm right here for you. I'm right here. Do you hear Jesus' voice saying the same thing to you today? Peace be with you. Do you see my scars? That was for you, and I'm here for you. Jesus goes on to say, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sin... They are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. What? 
Once again, how, how is that possible? Only God and Jesus have the power to forgive sins, not us. That's impossible. Can you imagine what it was going through the minds of those that Jesus was talking to in these verses? Everything that they understood and believed was being twisted and turned upside down. Jesus had told them about his death. He had told them about his burial and his resurrection. And yet, they didn't completely understand. They thought maybe it had something to do with uh, afterlife, a spiritual thing. And in the midst of their confusion, their reality was changing. Their reality about death was changing. They are now living in a reality where death isn't final. Can you imagine what that did for them? What about us? What does that do for us right here, right now? How many assumptions change? How many of our decisions are different in the light of the reality that death is not final? Jesus is resurrected. And so he reveals the impossible to them, and then he calls them to more of the same. The key to understanding the meaning of John 20, 23 lies in the previous two verses, where once again we read, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. He sent them as he is sending us to bring the good news of the way to salvation and heaven to the whole world. As they proclaimed the gospel, they could honestly tell people who believed in that message that their sins were forgiven. And they could honestly tell people that did not believe in that message that their sins were not forgiven and that they stand condemned in the eyes of God. And so this morning, which one are you? Are you the one that believes or the one that does not believe? See, Jesus said in John 3.36, John 3.36, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. And so the salvation process begins with hearing and believing. And for many of us, it requires us to believe the impossible. If you think about Jesus' life here on this earth, it began with this idea that nothing is impossible. Do you remember Jesus' mother Mary? We read in Luke 1, 26 through 38, Luke 1, 26 through 38, that an angel appeared to Mary, and she was, that's right, she was afraid. She was told that she was going to have a child, and that child would be the Messiah, the promised deliverer, the Savior of the world. And I'm sure Mary was thinking, that's impossible. In fact, she pretty much says that very thing in verse 34 when she says, How will this be since I am a virgin? There is no way this could be humanly possible, right? And from a human perspective, it was impossible. 
But in verse 37, the angel says, for nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. And so let me ask you this morning, has God ever challenged you to do something impossible? Or has he ever challenged you to believe something impossible? And in the midst of the impossibility, God is saying, you can believe me. You can trust me. And maybe there's a situation where he is calling you to forgive someone. And you say, I, I can't. I, I've tried. It, I, it's, it's not possible. I can't let it go. There's just a lot of deep-rooted pain deep inside me. And I can't forgive. And God is whispering, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Or maybe this morning, there is this thought process that goes on in your heart and mind that says, I can't be forgiven. God, you don't know how much I've done. You don't know what I've been involved with. You don't know the people that I hang, I've hung out with, and, and you don't know the things that we've done. You don't know the mistakes I've made. And he says, yes, I do. Yes, I do, and I love you. You can be forgiven. I forgive you. I'll meet your needs, says the Lord. I'll open that door that you think can't be opened. Has he ever challenged you to believe something impossible? And then the essential question comes, how did you respond to that challenge? How did you respond? You see, Mary's response was amazing. Luke 1, 38 I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. But she's Mary, right? Of course she said that. You know, she's, she's the Mary of the Bible. I mean, not everyone has the easiest of times to commit to what God is calling us to. In fact, we go back and we read in John's account here in the passage that we're reading from chapter 20. Starting in verse 24, we meet Thomas. Now we know that Thomas had a, a little bit of a different experience. If you want to follow along, John chapter 20, starting in verse 24. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it, into, put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, we give Thomas a hard time a lot of times because we think that the other disciples were so much better. But the truth is, the other disciples, 
had the same reaction, didn't they? I mean, they wanted to, to see his scars in his hands and in his side. And so he's not necessarily talking about them versus Thomas. He's making a bigger statement. Jesus said, Thomas, you believe because you have seen. But there are those who are going to come after you that are going to have to believe without physically seeing me. You see, Thomas was not unreasonable. In fact, Thomas was intelligent. He was rational. Thomas was logical. And he was dead wrong. God was opening their eyes to a new reality, a new kingdom, something bigger than they had ever experienced. He wanted them to see the world differently. He's saying that what you see is real. It's just not all that is real. That's why the writer of Proverbs wrote in Proverbs 3, verse 5, Proverbs 3, verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. It's not about shutting off your intellect. It's just realizing its limitations. So the question is, what are you going to trust? Are you going to trust your own understanding with its limitations? Are you going to trust common sense which is called common for a reason. Are you going to trust the ever-changing landscape of public opinion? Or are you going to trust the God who raised the dead? That's really the question, isn't it? John goes on in the last two verses, verse 30 and 31. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. If you're taking notes again this morning, please write this down. God did the impossible so we would believe. God did the impossible so we would believe. When you believe, you begin to think differently. You begin to see the world differently. Belief is that thing that changes everything. Belief is the thing that determines our entire life direction. As a substitute teacher this past fall, I, I got a chance to teach Bible to the 5th and 6th grade class, and we talked about how our worldview is highly impacted by our belief system. What we believe determines how we see the world and our values, our behavior, our speech, our attitudes, our priorities, our self-worth, the decisions we make are all based on a set of beliefs. And here's the important part. The closer that our beliefs are aligned with the truth, God's truth, the better off we are. And so I want to quickly leave you with three transformational beliefs that will change our lives if we let them. And again, if you're taking notes, write this down. The belief that Jesus is the one hope can transform your life. John says that all of this is written down so that you may know Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah. 
The Jews were looking for a Savior, a Messiah, the promised deliverer, and God saw our need, that our sin separated us from Him. And every single one of us faced that same dilemma. In fact, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our Creator, our Father, loved us so much that He sent His one and only Son to die on the cross for our sins. You see, Jesus, He's the one. He's the one we need. In fact, John 3, 16 through 18, it lays it out pretty simply. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You see, God loved us so much that he sent us Jesus. And Jesus is the hope. The one hope, the only hope. And a lot of people in our world would say, well, that's, that's kind of narrow. And let me tell you something. Truth is always narrow. And here's the truth. We, I, we need a Savior. Our sin has separated us from God. And Jesus died to give us real life. And that's the second truth that can change your life. The belief that real life is found in Jesus. We read in Ecclesiastes 1, 1 and 2, Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. In a lot of ways, man, it's, it seems hopeless. And some of you this morning may seem, feel that same hopelessness in your life. And when we read these words and hear the emptiness of this life lived apart from God, there isn't a lot of hope. And yet, we're supposed to have purpose and meaning. Jesus went to the cross so that we could have real life. In fact, John 10.10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. See, you were created for a life of purpose and meaning. Do you know that? That's why Jesus went to the cross. To give you life. A real life. So how's that going for you? Are you living the life God has called you to live? So many of us are taught from a young age that life is all about getting good grades in school. So that you can go to a good college so that you can get good grades there and, and eventually end up with a good job, so that you can make a lot of money, so that you can have a nice home, so you can buy lots of nice things. And the truth is, that's not why we're here. We're here to bring honor and glory to God through everything that we do in this life. It's not what God has made us for. What the world is telling you is not what God has made us for. We are made to bring honor and glory to the God 
that sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. And so we need to stop living for the world. We need to stop living for those around us. We even need to stop living for ourselves. And we need to start living for Jesus. Jesus didn't overcome the grave for nothing. He overcame the grave that you can have real life in him. The last belief that can really change your life and this is implied in everything that John just told us. It's the belief that God can do the impossible. And that's what I want to challenge you with this morning. That's why this message is entitled Beyond the Tomb. Because I don't want us just to look back and remember and then have nothing change in our lives. I want us to look beyond the tomb to our futures to see what God is calling us to. If we truly believe that Jesus rose from the dead, then we also believe that he can do the impossible. And that should completely change how we live. So what in your life have you thought was too difficult for God to handle? When have you thought there's no way, that's just not possible? What has God put in your heart that you've said, no, not, I can't do that. No, there's no way. Whatever it might be, please hear me this morning. Nothing is impossible with God. My prayer is that over the next several weeks together, we will solidify that transformational idea in our lives in order that we will never be the same ever again. May this idea of resurrection life actually go with us, that we may live boldly for Jesus. And so as the praise team comes, we're going to sing a song of invitation, a, a song of commitment this morning, and obviously you're not going to come forward here at the building, but if you've been listening to the lie, if you've been believing the lie that God can't forgive you, that he doesn't love you, please stop believing that lie. God loves you so much that he sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to be buried in the grave, and to three days later be resurrected. And because of that, you can have life. If you need to make a decision for Jesus, I would invite you to go to our website, pvcc.info. There's a respond to invitation card there on our page, and just click on that, reach out, and I would love to share with you what God's word teaches about accepting his free gift of grace. And maybe this morning, if you need prayer and you just need someone to talk to, please go to that same respond to invitation card. And we will reach out. We will talk. We will pray. And let's do that right now. God, we humbly come into your presence, acknowledging your greatness in our lives. If there is one this morning, as they hear the message from your word, that they would respond. If they know they need to change, God, I pray that they would surrender their lives over to you. May they wait no longer. May today be the day of salvation for them. Easter Sunday, 
2020, may they humbly surrender their lives over to you. It's the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.